As Omicron is detected in LA, we'll get a COVID update for San Diego. We knew that this was sort of predictable because if the virus is out there and infecting people, it will have a chance to mutate. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. We'll hear the real-world effects of California's wildfire air pollution. Personally, me, it affects me on my, you know, my chest, and I get very, like, a horsey voice, and then produces a lot of cough. And art, poetry, and music for a chilly cook-off top our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. As anticipated, the Omicron variant is being detected in more cities. Los Angeles has discovered its first case of the new COVID variant in a fully vaccinated person who recently traveled to South Africa. Health officials say the person is recovering and quarantining at home. San Diego County health officials are maintaining existing safety protocols. Joining us with the latest on San Diego's response to the new variant is KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman. Matt, welcome. Hey, Maureen. What are local officials saying about Omicron? They're saying that there's a lot about Omicron that we just don't know yet. You know, while suggested that it's likely to be more contagious, such as like the Delta variant, uh, we don't really know exactly yet. You know, we don't know how sick it can make people um, and how well uh, the existing vaccines work or don't work against it. Um, and, you know, county officials right now are saying, uh, you know, the best precaution is the steps that we already know to take against, you know, how COVID-19 spreads, get vaccinated. And as the governor pointed out, let's not panic and get ahead of the information here. You know, there's just a lot of uh, information coming out of South Africa. You know, we've had a couple cases here in the United States, a couple cases here in California. Um, But we knew that this was sort of predictable, right? I mean, not only because like the world is interconnected, but because if the virus is out there and infecting people, it will have a chance to mutate. But the question is, is that going to be a more dangerous variant than the ones that we've seen before, like Delta or some of the other ones? How is testing being done to see if the variant is here? 
Yeah, so testing is always being done. You know, like if you get COVID and you go get sick, you go get tested at a county site, you go get tested at your healthcare provider. Some of those tests are sequenced. Uh, that's where they look to see, you know, what exactly uh, strain of COVID do you have here? For a long time, it was the Delta variant. Um, and now they're looking to see if they can find uh, Omicron. And that testing happens at county sites, happens at private labs, that sequencing, I should say, um, happens at some of the healthcare providers here, you know, UC San Diego. Uh, outlets like that are on the lookout for Omicron. And once they see it, they say they'll let us know. And UCSD is asking all students who traveled over the Thanksgiving holiday to take a COVID test. I'm wondering, Matt, is there an increase in new COVID cases? Looking at the data, there is not a new increase in COVID cases just in the last, you know, month or two. Uh, You know, we're averaging about 350, 400 cases per day. Um, uh, You know, a few deaths are are there as well, too. Um, But we're not seeing a general increase now. Keep in mind, a lot of the data, as we know, has a lagging indicator in terms of when people get sick, when they might go to the hospital, and then, uh, unfortunately, if they may die. Um, So, you know, Thanksgiving just recently happened. Um, A lot of people are vaccinated, uh, but we could still yet see increase in cases uh, from the holiday. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. President Biden made a new pitch for people getting vaccinated as we approach winter and the holidays. Are local officials expressing concern about a possible new surge in COVID? Uh, I I would say the answer to that is yes. I mean, the governor has said, you know, we know how this virus works. Uh, We know that last winter we saw a large surge. Um, Obviously, a lot more people weren't vaccinated yet. You know, we're coming up on uh, just about a year of, you know, people first having access to the vaccine uh, before it came uh, a lot more widespread. Uh, but we know how this virus acts. You know, we know that if people are vaccinated, if they are in uh, indoor spaces uh, with other unvaccinated people, if somebody has that virus and there's not good ventilation, we know that it's going to spread uh, very easily and it may infect people. Um, so it's sort of predictable is what they're saying, that they expect to see some sort of an increase. The question is, is it going to be enough to overwhelm the hospital system? Right. Are our hospitals preparing for an increase? I think that they're always preparing for an increase, um, but we haven't, there's still a lot in terms of Omicron that we don't know. You know, there's some data coming out of South Africa that suggests maybe uh, it does not uh, have an increased hospitalization rate attached to it. Um, but as some of those experts are saying too, those are lagging indicators. So, so we just don't know, but hospitals are always always preparing. It's also worth noting too, that in terms of this vaccine, what we do know, what we don't know, um, you know, companies like Pfizer and Moderna say that they're already in some of the initial stages of creating a vaccine for this should it be necessary and obviously wouldn't be ready right away has to go through the authorization processes but some of those companies are estimating that it could take them a hundred days to finish something what is the status of vaccinations here in san diego and while we're talking about it what's the status about boosters yeah, so in San Diego County, uh, we're seeing uh, among the eligible population in terms of first doses, uh, 84% of residents have gotten their shots. And for uh, completing the series, we have 75% of residents that have that. Now, not to throw too many numbers at you, but it's worth noting, too, uh, that Governor Newsom said this week that 92% of Californians 18 and over have gotten their first dose. So that is a very, very high number. We have that vaccination wall there. You know, some people are sort of questioning the further we go, you know, we tried the incentives, you know, we had the prize money lottery wheel. Um, Other states were doing different things. How much can we really tick up those numbers? Um, You know, we're seeing an increase, you know, in some parts of the country, some parts of the world with Omicron. um, But it's unclear if we could really get to 100 percent. 
You know, Matt, people talk about COVID fatigue. I guess we're all tired of wearing masks and distancing, but there seems to be a renewed emphasis on keeping those rules in place now. Tell us about that. There definitely is an emphasis on that. And that's because sort of what I was talking about earlier is we know how this virus spreads, you know, and we know that the longer it's going to be out there, that there's a chance that more of these variants that could escape immunity, that could be more contagious, uh, are are going to be popping up. You know, we saw it um, happening with Delta um, and now it may be happening with Omicron. But it's, you know, it's worth pointing out that we still don't know yet. You know, we have those two cases, that one out of San Francisco, that person was traveling from South Africa, having mild symptoms. You know, there's some data that shows maybe people that have had COVID and have some immunity after that um, are not as protected against this. But uh, it's really going to be interesting, Maureen, paying attention to the data moving forward to see if this, if this variant of concern really will be a big concern. And you'll be discussing more about the Omicron variant today on Roundtable, won't you? Yeah, we'll be diving into it all today on Roundtable, and that's coming up uh, right after the show. I've been speaking with KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman. Matt, thank you. Thanks, Maureen. And now for part two of an investigation the California Report brought us yesterday. KQED's Farida Javala Romero has been investigating the state's failure to enforce regulations meant to protect farm workers and others exposed to wildfire smoke. She found that earlier this year, lawmakers tried to boost enforcement, but Governor Gavin Newsom's administration stepped in and blocked their efforts. At a food bank in the town of Biola in Fresno County, volunteers help Alejandra Beltran load groceries into cardboard boxes and carry them to her pickup truck. What does it need? Beltran is a farm worker. This fall, she worked in the fields harvesting grapes for raisins, she says, including shifts and thick wildfire smoke. Personally, me, it affects me on my, you know, my chest. And I get very, like, a horsey voice. And then produces a lot of cough. Tiny particles and wildfire smoke can trigger asthma attacks, strokes, and other serious health problems. Since 2019, California employers have been required to protect workers when smoke levels become unhealthy by offering them N95 masks, for example, or moving them indoors. But farm workers like Beltran told us they never heard about those regulations. She says she never got an N95 nor the training employers are supposed to give workers about the health hazards of smoke. As far as my knowledge, we weren't told anything. An estimated 4 million Californians work outdoors. But data obtained by KQED and the California Newsroom show that over the more than two years the smoke regulations have been in place, the state dispatched inspectors to only 26 employers. That led to just 11 citations for violations of the wildfire smoke standard. 11 violations, you know, obviously is a very low number. California Assemblyman Robert Rivas chairs the Assembly's Agriculture Committee. He introduced a bill that would have required the government to send strike teams of inspectors to the fields whenever smoke levels become dangerous. Having a mechanism of enforcement is incredibly important. But the provision was deleted last summer after opposition from Governor Gavin Newsom's administration. That's according to internal documents we viewed and interviews with people close to the negotiations. You know, my effort here was not trying to penalize, 
growers in any way and, you know, uh, or the agricultural industry, but it was to, you know, achieve a level of accountability. Governor Newsom's press office did not respond to multiple requests for comment, and neither did his Labor and Workforce Development Agency, which documents show wanted the strike teams removed. Dan Lucido did talk to us. As acting chief of Kalosha, she's in charge of enforcing the smoke rules. She also didn't want to comment on the changes to the bill. To the extent that any amendments were made, it would have been the author's decision to amend the bill, not ours. Lucido says her agency is a leader in providing worker protections, including against wildfire smoke. She says Kalosha is not opposed to sending strike teams out on smoky days. She acknowledged they've been short on outreach and blamed the pandemic. But now she says the agency is trying to get the word out about the smoke regulations, like through this video in English and Spanish posted on their website. In California, el humo de los incendios puede afectar a los lugares de trabajo que se But many farm workers say they still don't know about the protections. So the rule's not working, says Nayamin Martinez. She directs the Central California Environmental Justice Network. I, I always find it very ironic when the agencies brag about, oh, we have the most stringent rules in the entire nation. Well, you can have rules, but if you don't enforce them, then there's nothing good out of them. Martinez's organization surveyed more than 300 farm workers in San Joaquin Valley earlier this year. Nearly 60% reported that their employers did not provide N95 masks or that they did not know what N95s were. That was Farida Javala Romero with the latest in the ongoing series, Dangerous Air. Hi, I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This weekend in the arts, there's an ephemeral art exhibition, Latinx Poetry, a return to the stage for Voices of Our City Choir, and outdoor rock and roll. Joining me is KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Now, first up, is a group art exhibition opening at a new Carlsbad gallery. This one is called Impermanence. Tell us about the show. Yeah, so Fez Gallery opened this summer, and it's it's in this converted bungalow on State Street in Carlsbad. And this new exhibition is about 
the fleeting nature of time and objects and even art. And they'll show the work of four artists, plus Tibetan monks from the Gaden Shartse Monastery in Tibet. And the impermanence shows up in many forms. There is Andres Amador, who is a Northern California landscape artist and photographer. And what he does is he finds an empty beach cove in between tides and rakes or digs these intricate swirls and really complicated patterns into the sand and then takes an aerial picture before the surf washes it away. There's also Wendy Marayama, San Diegan, who will install her tag project, which is a large large-scale installation that are these sets of hanging paper tags. Each one is inscribed with a story or, or biographical information about a Japanese-American who was incarcerated during World War II. And from afar, these sculptures look like ghosts. It's really cool. Also on view are illustrator Kathy McCord and sculptor Michelle Curtis Cole. It opens on Sunday with an artist reception from two to four. And throughout the exhibition, the Tibetan monks will be constructing a sand mandala that takes place on Wednesday of next week. Impermanence opens at Fez Gallery in Carlsbad on Sunday and runs through February. Flower Song Press is a publisher dedicated to the borderlands and the voices of Latin America and the U.S. Tell us about their poetry reading. Right. These are all California authors that the press has tapped for this event, and it's going to be held at the Centro Cultural de la Raza. Each of the writers has a poetry collection published or forthcoming from Flower Song Press. There's 10 poets in what is really an incredible lineup. To name just a few, there is Sonia Gutierrez, whose book Dreaming with Butterflies, that came out just under a year ago. Brianna Munoz just published Everything is Returned to the Soil, and her writing's really informed by reclaiming her indigenous identity and culture. There's also Ventura-based Fernando Albert Salinas, who recently published Toxic Masculinity. And also reading is Matt Cedillo, whose latest collection is Mowing Leaves of Grass. The Flower Song Press reading is Saturday at 7 p.m. at the Centro Cultural de la Raza. Foodies know to save the first Sunday in December for the annual Sono Fest and Chili Cook-Off. And after last year's virtual event, it's great to see this back in person in North Park. So is it the food or the festivities that's got your interest, Julia? (laughs) It's probably the music. Um, The festival is actually free to get into, so you can wander around with or without your chili tasting ticket. And you can listen to performances by a dozen bands on two different stages. And there's even a children's stage, too. It all starts at 11, and the first music kicks off at 11.30 with Grandpa Drew's Americana. There's also Scary Pierre, Low Volts, um, and then Chili Fest standards, The Creepy Creeps, and also Chloe Liu and the Liddells, who we're listening to right now. If you want to grab one of the handmade bowls for your chili, the bowl pre-sale is tonight at 6 p.m. at the San Diego Ceramic Connection. And when they run out of bowls, they also have cute commemorative mugs that you can get your chili in, too. 
The Sono Fest and the Chili Cook-Off is Sunday from 11 to 5 p.m. at the intersection of Thorne and 32nd Street in North Park. Finally, Voices of Our City Choir is a local organization that offers choral music opportunities to people experiencing homelessness, and they're holding their holiday performance and fundraiser on Sunday at Music Box. Let's listen to a recording the group made of Deck the Halls last year. All right, here we go, y'all. Here we go. Y'all ready to deck the halls? Come on, let's get with the Voices of Our City Choir. Deck the halls with bells of holly, fa la 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 And I should point out that that's actually a really great video you can find on Voices of Our City Choir's YouTube channel. They made it for a virtual holiday celebration last year, but this year they're back on stage with a live audience at Music Box. This group... You'll remember they got the Golden Buzzer Award on America's Got Talent recently, and they are such an important part of San Diego's music scene, as well as among homelessness advocates, because not only do they create opportunities to sing, but their big picture goal is to get their members into permanent housing. This fundraiser concert will support that work and also be a chance for the group to share their stories along with holiday tunes, and they will have a jazz funk band accompaniment. Voices of Our City Choir's Hope for the Holidays concert is Sunday at 5.30 p.m. at Music Box. For details on these and plenty more arts and culture events, or to sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. And thank you, Julia. Thank you, Maureen. Have a great weekend.